Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 7. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. A Shigon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord my God, and you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory to the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violent descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let's begin with a few moments of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you have recorded for us the words of your apostles and prophets, men like David who have cried out to you. The Lord, not mere words of men, but those who are inspired by your Holy Spirit that reveal to us who you are. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it changes us, that it cuts us up, that it puts us back together, that it reveals to us who you are and who we are, that we might grow, that we might be changed and transformed. Lord, we need your spirit to do that work in our lives today. Give us ears to hear what the spirit says. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been working through some psalms this summer, we've now hit Psalm 7. And the past few weeks, it kind of feels like the psalms are very similar. Uh, David is hiding from some sort of enemy. He's crying out to the Lord to deliver him. He's pleading his innocence. He's asking the Lord to intervene. And indeed, it's certainly not a theme in this particular psalm. But as we've been going through this series, I can't help but think of the repetition of David. That it wasn't in just one moment that David cried out for help, but that in all of his moments of need, both in his joys and in his sorrows, both in his exaltation as king and here as his throne is being threatened. 
David comes to the Lord with the full breadth of his life experience time and time again. Funny enough, I was driving to church here this afternoon and I was listening to the classic rock station and Guns N' Roses was singing, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door over and over and over again. And I thought, yeah, I mean, that's really what David is doing here. It's what we're getting a sense of with the Psalms. Indeed, some of these were particularly common for singing, but they are encapsulations of David's prayers as he knocked again and again on God's door, asking him, knowing that he was listening, calling upon him to be consistent with who he is and what he had promised to do. And so here we have another instance where David finds himself in a predicament. We don't know anything about Cush, the Benjaminite, except for that David wrote this in response to him, that David sang this to the Lord. We can assume, based on the content of this psalm, that he was indeed threatening the the reign and rule of David as king, that he was plotting against him, perhaps in a similar way that David's son Absalom had done. Perhaps maybe he's even one of the men that was joined with Absalom. There's not a lot of historic record who this man was, but we have a lot of details about what David's problem was. David felt that he was being unjustly accused, unjustly attacked, that the things Cush was saying to him weren't true. The things he was proclaiming to the people, the whole cause of his campaign was based on lies. And David felt the victim. As we come to the psalm, perhaps it's helpful for us to think about perhaps the ways and the times in our lives where we have felt unjustly accused of things. Somebody claiming that we had done something wrong when it wasn't us or we see it differently. When we've received criticism from other people that we didn't deserve. Others triumphing over us when we've done nothing wrong, feeling like our lot in life doesn't line up with what we've put into it. The struggle we all have as we try to wrestle with God's providence over our lives, the things he allows to happen to us that aren't intrinsically tied to whether or not we bring faithful or unfaithful, whether or not we are in some sort of heinous sin. So it is with David. He experienced the same life you and I faced, though he lived in a different time and had a different position and indeed was this important figure in the people of God in Israel. He was criticized. He was falsely accused. He didn't understand God's providence in his life at this time. Where did he go? Where do we go when we feel these things? We can follow David's example Go to God in prayer, knocking on the door, asking God why, and calling on him to make it right. Our passage today really is going to have three points. We're looking at David's refuge, David's appeal for recourse, and this final theme of repentance. Refuge, recourse, and repentance. So first, our first point, refuge. We see here in our opening verses, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces. 
with none to deliver. Time and time again, we see David making these wonderful confessions of faith. That's why we conclude a confession of faith in our worship service each week. The first thing we must do when we come to God is be reminded of who he is. Why we must come to him. Oh, Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Think of all the things that we have at our disposal that we can take refuge in. We can hold ourselves up in our houses and lock the doors, not talk to anybody else. We can isolate ourselves from any sort of negativity. We can consume positive, uplifting things. We can watch our favorite show, eat our favorite food, have it delivered to us so we don't have to interact with anybody. We can find refuge in our wealth, refuge in our immediate relationships. David had more things at his disposal. Being the king of Israel, he indeed could have found refuge in his armies, in his own might. He's the one who slayed Goliath after all. But David knew that his true refuge was in God alone. David wasn't gearing up for a battle. He wasn't coming up with a plan. You can ask my wife how many times I come up with a plan to fix all of my problems. David went to the one who could actually do something. He went to the source of refuge. He confessed his faith that it is the Lord who can do these things. It is the Lord that can save him from his pursuers, who can deliver him. Indeed, he may participate in that. He may have mighty men who fight battles for him, but it is God who will declare the victory, who will allow him to prevail. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present in our time of need. David knew that the Lord was where he must go for refuge. And what does he do when he goes to the Lord? He asks him to do something. He wants recourse for this problem in his life. He thinks he's been unjustly accused, and so he asks the Lord to hear his case. He uses bold language. I think few of us would be dare to speak. Lord, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Later on, he asked the Lord to judge him according to his righteousness, according to the integrity that is in him. But here, David is making his case. The things that Cush is saying are not true. Why are you allowing him to prevail over me? Now, we must remember that David is the anointed king of Israel. He is this set-apart man who has been anointed with the oil, who is God's chosen king over his people. It is no small thing to go against the Lord's anointed. It is essentially going against the Lord himself. And so this accusation that David had done something wrong, that he had repaid with evil his friend, that he had plundered enemies without cause, that he is just this off-the-rails lunatic, megalomaniac. He says, if that's true, if those things are true, then let Cush get me. Let him kill me. 
Let him trample my life to the ground. I deserve if it's true. But if it is not, indeed, that is David's case. If it is not, and it is not, he appeals for justice. He asks God to act. Verse 6, arise, O Lord, in your anger. You see, David's angry what's happening and He's asking the Lord to feel that righteous indignation. As those who have come against the anointed king of Israel, the Lord ought to be angry. Lift up yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you over it. Over it, return on high. He's asking the Lord to bring about the judgment, to gather the peoples around his throne, to put the court in session, to put before everybody the facts and to execute perfect righteousness. David goes on to confess in verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord. According to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Now, I don't know how many of us would be so bold as to ask the Lord to judge us. And we don't want to read these verses and think too deeply into how pervasive David is asking the Lord to judge his own righteousness. But in this case, David is saying, I am blameless. Judge me. Look at what I have done. Look at all of the acts I have committed. Look at the accusations against me. Judge me, O Lord. I've been righteous in these things. There's integrity within me. I have been faithful. Conversely, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. David goes on back to confessing his great refuge in God. Verse 10, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a judge who feels indignation every day. So this is the first part of David's Song, David's prayer. Going to his place of refuge, knowing that he in his own strength, he in his own planning, he in his own might cannot remedy the situation. Instead, he calls upon the Lord to act. Perhaps in the events we've thought about in our own lives where we felt unjustly accused, criticized, where we got the short end of the stick. Maybe we didn't deserve it. It's not a wrong prayer to pray those things to God. It's like, God, why did you allow these things to happen? Do you not see that I have done the right thing? Won't you vindicate my name? Won't you bring an end to this evilness? David is making a very strong contrast between him and these people who are pursuing him. This man, Cush, 
He wants the judgment. When I was a teenager, I used to do a lot of stupid things. One time we got in some trouble with some folks that we thought would be more afraid of the police than us. So what did we do? We ran to the police. We found a cop and we started to follow him because what we wanted to have happen in that situation was that judgment, the facts would come out. Now, of course, if you're on the wrong side of the law, you don't want judgment. You don't know the judge. You don't want him to rule against you. This is what David is calling for. For the facts to be laid out. For his cry to be heard. For the evil person to be found out as well. So that he might find vindication. Now we hear those things and in my pithy illustration... Perhaps we have some sort of righteousness on our own, our own sense of uh, upright heart. We've done the right thing. Of course, we know the life of David. He doesn't uh, always do the right thing. In fact, he does some horrendous things. He takes a man's wife. He murders the man. David is certainly not one that can be judged in all things on his own righteousness. Indeed, you and I cannot come before God in our own righteousness. That's why we confess our sins each week, because we are not righteous on our own. And that's the last part of our prayer today. That's the last part of David's psalm. It is this theme of repentance, and David tells us, about it in verse 12. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He digs a pit, digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. The thing that categorically changes David from Cush, the righteous from the wicked, is the man who repents. Indeed, there's actually gospel hope in here for the evildoer. That if the man in verse 12 here that does not repent, if he would have repented, he could avoid these things. It is only by turning from our sin and turning towards God that we can avoid the judgment. Because in the end, if we want to stand before God with our own righteousness, those hard words from verse 8, we will fall. We will not win the case because ultimately sin and rebellion is not against only other people, but against God himself. And that's where this psalm is a little different than our experience in the world. Because Cush was going after the anointed king of Israel. He was going against God himself. Now we may be sinned against by other people. We may sin against others. And we can find ways to remedy that. There are courtrooms 
all across America and around the world to help remedy those types of cases. But this judgment that stands before God is not merely peer-to-peer. It's also creature-to-creator. David knows this. That's why David cries out to the Lord for refuge. Indeed, he is going to fail and it will cause him to repent, to turn, to be reminded. Of course, the Lord must intervene, must come to him by his prophet and rebuke him. But when he is confronted with his sin, what does he do? He weeps in sorrow. But for the man who does not repent, for the man that continues to pursue evil, who continues to fight against God's anointed, against God himself, we have some of the most violent language about God's judgment. He will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons making his arrows fiery shafts. He's even lit the arrows on fire. What does the wicked man look like? The man that does not repent. He conceives evil. He is pregnant with mischief. It is part, is so internal to him, he must come out. Gives birth to lies. He's continually digging out all of these schemes for the ways in which he is going to succeed. And as he is plotting all of these things, the Lord turns it on itself. The pit that he dug for David becomes his own pit. The mischief returns on his own head and on his own skull. The violence he wanted to bring against David descends on his own head. The Lord will bring about ultimate justice. Perhaps not in a moment. In fact, as we were doing our liturgy today, it was not an intentional uh, decision. But the theme of waiting came up time and time again. And it's related to the idea of taking refuge in the Lord. That David is out waiting. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Perhaps in his mind, Cush might win. He might not have a great reputation after he prevails in his accusations. He didn't know if Absalom was going to continue to reign. He didn't know if his enemies were going to prevail over him. He was waiting. Indeed, David was delivered from many of his perils. But for you and I, we're not always delivered in a timely manner, at least not in our own timeline. The evil person who has done such terrible things to us may not get what they deserve in our eyes. Our name might never be cleared. Our lot in life might not get better. Those things might be true about our lives, but it does not change the truth of this psalm. See, this ultimate judgment 
that David is appealing for will come to pass. It is the hope of the end of the age when Christ will come again and judge the peoples with equity. That he will gather for himself those whom he has called. And the books will be open and everything anyone has ever done will be read aloud and Christ will judge from his throne. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, from all of the pain, all of the criticism, all of the things that have been done to us that shouldn't have happened. And those who are responsible will be punished. And all of the things that we ought to have been punished for, we will finally see how they have been laid on Christ at Calvary. And judgment will have been served. But in the meantime, we pray prayers like this. Lord, act. Judge rightly. Lord, as I come to you in repentance, don't judge me like you would judge an evildoer. Indeed, I see the evilness in my own heart and I bring it to you and ask for forgiveness. And I wait. And we wait because we know that God is in control. Whether in in a short time, in his own time, or at the end of the age, God will act. These things are true about him. He will wet his sword against the evil one. And he will vindicate the righteous, those who have been found in Christ. And then we will all respond the way David responds, the way we ought to respond as we even wait. Verse 17, I will give thanks to the I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the most high. It'll be in that day that we aren't deemed right and they are deemed wrong. Indeed, in that day, we will see that the Lord is right, that he is righteous, that he is perfect, that he is the judge, and that he deserves all praise. As we find ourselves in moments of need, may we cling to our God of refuge. May we plead our case before him. God is bigger than our problems. He is not offended to hear our pleas for mercy, to hear our case, to hear our even anger against his inaction. As long as we are coming to him as the God of our refuge, our shield, the one who can act, the one in whom we trust. As we come to him, we plead our case, we come in repentance, and may we come responding with joy as we wait for him to respond to us. Let's pray. Lord, there's so many things in our world that are just so evil. So many experiences in our lives that feel unjust. So many circumstances that we just wish we didn't have. Pray that you would help us to not be resentful, to feel entitled to some sort of perfect life. But Lord, that you would work faith in us, that it would cause us to take refuge in you. 
that we would find confidence in Christ to make our case. Lord, that your spirit would cause us to be more and more blameless before you. That we would turn from our wickedness and turn towards you in repentance. Lord, help us in our waiting. Help us to see Christ victorious. Help us to have hope at the end of the age when all things will be made new. We need your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.